The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. episode of positive talk radio i am so glad that you are here because we're going to have a, an excellent episode today um we're talking with an author and uh, she has written a book that's called one thing remains and her story i have to tell you i, I had an opportunity to talk to her before and and her story is nothing short of just just amazing and uh it's worth buying the book and to, to look at it and and we'll we'll reference her website and and stuff as we go along. But Shannon L. Carroll is with us today. And Shannon, thank you for coming and doing this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. What an honor to share our story with you and the audience today. I will tell you it is quite a story indeed. And uh it and it all began when you were living in a completely different place, had a completely different lifestyle. And uh, so go ahead and tell us what happened in, in, in your guys' world. That had to be, I just have to say, say that that had to be the most unique, scary, unsettling story that can happen to, to people who are married and in love and have a full life. And then everything, all of the sudden, well, I should stop talking and let you talk. <laughs> Carol, or Shannon, tell us your story. Yeah, this is not one of those stories that you wake up and think, oh boy, I hope that's my experience someday. In fact, it was never even on the radar. Turned our lives upside down. And I often say that what was an absolute nightmare to walk through has become the biggest gift we could have ever received. So... The story goes like this. It was 2019, just a few short years ago, and uh, we lived in Southern Indiana. We have three boys. They're now uh, teenagers, 12, 13, and 19. My husband is a full-time pastor of our church in rural Southern Indiana, and we homeschooled the two younger boys. We lived on a, uh, a significant uh, acreage, and we were attempting to homestead, um, which people ask, what in the world is homesteading? It's where our goal and our value at the time was to be completely self-sufficient, not necessarily off the grid, but to be able to grow our own food, have our own water source. So we had chickens, we had this massive organic garden, we had an orchard, we had a pond. Um, we had a lot to take care of at the homestead. It's a lot of work. 
Um, in addition to the jobs, I'm self-employed. I run a network marketing essential oil business um, that has replaced my income as a registered nurse. So life is just busy. I mean, all of our lives are busy, right? That is the American standard life. Uh, we kind of wear busyness as a badge of honor. But we had some warning signs that what we were doing was too much. Um, warning signs such as my husband, David, who's a healthy guy, but he started having more uh, episodes of chest pain. And he started needing to sleep a lot. Like he would want to take naps. He'd want to go to bed early. He'd want to sleep in later, a little bit more irritable, um, just warning signs that something was wrong. And we said several times to each other, we're probably doing too much, but we never took anything off the table. Um, we had a house remodel that was happening. There were some stressful situations in church life, which there always are, as pastors' families know. So anyway, uh, one weekend, it was the week after Easter in uh, 2019, he um, woke up on a Sunday morning and his chest was hurting pretty bad. He was having a little bit difficulty breathing. His color was not good. I said we should probably go to the emergency room, but this will give you an insight into his driven nature. He said, no, I've got a job to do. I need to go preach at church. Like, this is probably not super smart. He's a typical guy who will not, under any circumstance, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. Just give me a, a glass of water and I'll be just fine. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah, um, not smart. So I'm a former ER nurse and I knew we should go, but I, I could not override him in that moment. So we get to church and I found an EMT. I found a nurse. We had a plan for if he collapsed during the service, like you're going to get the AED. We're going to do CPR. You're going to call 911. You're going to gather the congregation to pray. Okay, so here's your sign. Go to the ER. <laughs> if you've got to map all that out, right? Anyway, somehow he completes the service. It was an amazing uh, sermon, actually, with some freaky things that he said during the sermon that uh, bled into the experience later. After the service is over, he says, I need to go to the emergency room now. So um, we did go home to change clothes. We got back in the car. The ER was about 35 minutes away from where we lived. I thought I could probably get there faster than the ambulance. So um, I drove, which was another sign that he wasn't feeling very well <laughs> because he let me drive. <laughs> I get places pretty fast and that usually makes him nervous. So um, I'm driving and I'm talking to him, uh, trying to keep him with me, um, noticing that he's, he's starting to kind of fade on me on this drive. And so he says, my vision's getting kind of blurry. Um, he's breathing a little bit harder, like he's starting to crash on me. And we got about halfway there and I said something to him and he didn't respond. And so I looked over and like, David, David, and this is how he looked. He was out. He was completely unresponsive. I shake him, shake him. David, are you okay? Are you okay? No answer. So I pull over on the side of the road, call 911, tell him I need an ambulance, walk around to the um, his passenger door, put the seat down, and I feel for a pulse and I look for breathing. He does have a pulse. It's really thready. His breathing is really erratic. He is staring off into space, but totally no reaction. I'm, I'm doing the sternal rub. I'm doing everything I can to wake him up and there's nothing happening. It took the ambulance 10 minutes to get there. And in those 10 minutes, standing over him, being unresponsive, 
like things shifted for me. At one point I thought, is this how it all ends? Like all of our years of marriage and ministry and life, and I lose them on the side of a busy highway. It, it, it was awful. It was traumatic. Uh, as the ambulance was pulling up, he started to come too, but he was very anxious, very confused. They got him in the ambulance. We whisked off to the ER. And I was sure that as soon as we got to the ER, they would tell me he's having a massive heart attack. I thought that's exactly what was happening. We get to the ER, they start hooking him up and heart things are looking normal. Vital signs are looking normal. This is weird. This is not what I expected to see. Then he starts getting real paranoid and kind of talking out of his head, thinking everybody's there to get him. Um, he was thinking we got to get out of here. I was worried that he was going to try to be a flight risk on me. Um, he was confused about the oxygen monitor on his finger. I mean, just really paranoid. This is strange. This is not normal behavior for a heart attack. So they whisked him off to a CAT scan to check his brain because they thought maybe we've got a stroke or we have a seizure or there's something that's happening in his brain because he's talking so out of his head. That came back normal. He takes a nap. He wakes up. He's calm. He's not paranoid anymore. But we realize in that moment he had amnesia. I think I started to figure it out when he was saying he insisted that he still worked at that hospital as an IT engineer and he hadn't worked there in about seven years. He was like, I, I do work here and I've got to get back to my job. I said, you don't work here. He said, yes, I do. And he named his boss. And so finally I decided to play along with it. I was like, I've already talked to your boss. They've given you the day off. You can just rest here in the ER. So then I'm texting my family updates on my phone. And he says, what is that? And I said, it's my iPhone. I'm texting our family. He goes, iPhone? That doesn't look anything like a Blackberry. Oh, my. Blackberry. Okay, we are back in the dark ages here. So then I started using my nurse um, questions, like, do you know what year it is? No, I didn't know what year it was. I said, um, do you remember the businessman, Donald Trump? He said, yeah, I remember him. I said, well, he's the president of our, of the United States. He goes, no way. Get out of town. <laughs> yes way. There are a lot of people who have that reaction that it weren't even, it didn't even have amnesia. Yes. Another time he asked me what I did. He thought I was still working in the hospital. I said, no, I'm actually selling essential oils. You're doing what I'm the pastor of a church. He says, what's the name of the church? I mean, just it was like, what in the world is happening? So they kept us in the hospital for three days to run every test under the sun on his brain, on his heart, his labs, um, every scan imaginable, thinking his memories were going to pop back in at any time. And they did not during the hospital stay. And so the professionals, professionals said, well, we've read about things like this, but we've never seen amnesia that happened where there wasn't a trauma, like there wasn't um, an injury to the head. You know, you'll have a car crash and then you'll have short-term memory loss. This was just like, it just happened. And so they said, most likely the amnesia was caused from years of cumulative stress. Said stress probably shut his brain down and said, we've had enough. So they said, go home, relax, live your life. And your memories may come back in a day, a week, a year, or never have a nice day. 
<laughs> that was our hospital experience in our first few days with amnesia. Well, a couple things. First of all, that must have been the longest 10 minutes of your life as you were waiting for the ambulance to arrive and and trying to work with him to to bring him around that would be horrific that would uh, but, and, yeah. and the other thing thank god you're a registered nurse if you were not and did not know how to help him you would have been even farther down the rabbit hole than than anything else so congratulations to you for that and and good fortune as well yeah. for him to, well. to have you with him God knows what he's doing. You know, I got a re the recording of the EMS call. The EMS person, the dispatcher stayed on the phone with me for the whole 10 minutes. And um, he got he got a lot of my prayers. He got to hear a lot of my prayers on the other side or my screams. And so I requested a copy of the call. And I re-listened to it this year on the anniversary of when David lost his memories and then just sat and really bawled my eyes out because it was very traumatic. But in the moment, I remember thinking, I'm going to need counseling from this day someday. Um, but you're just going through the motions in the moment. And but yes, it was very traumatic. And then to have them say, well, you know, we don't know what's wrong. I can't tell you when it's going to come back, if it's going to come back ever. And just go go reintroduce yourselves, I guess. is So, so you went home and did he recognize home? No, no. We had lived in this home for um, five or six years, six years at the time. And his memory loss was from the last eight to 13 years. So um, we say eight years because he remembered our two youngest sons, but he thought that they were in car seats at the time. And they're just a year apart. The youngest was nine at the time. And he knew about the youngest one, but again, thought he was in a car seat. So that's where we get the eight years. We say 13 years because he did not remember anything whatsoever about the church where he had been pastoring for 13 years. Um, so some of the details in between the eight to 13, he knew, um, but definitely nothing more recent than eight. Um, and then that, that time frame was, was fuzzy. So no, he did not know the house. I um, called some people while we were at the hospital. I said, can you please clean the house before we get home? because I've got to take my husband on a tour of this house and he's never seen it. And we had left it in a hurry that day. So I introduced him to our house, um, to the city where we lived, uh, to, we had chickens. And he's like, why do we have chickens? And I said, well, that was your idea. Um, he didn't know how to operate his phone. He didn't know where we banked, how much money was in there, what retirements were like. Um, he didn't know people. It was all new to him. He, we walked into the room and it was time for bed. And he said, which side of the bed do I sleep on? And I had to tell him which toothbrush was his. And I asked him to help put dishes away one night. And he goes, that's fine, but you're going to have to tell me where everything goes. Like, he just didn't know. He didn't know our dog. I mean, all of it. Now, he remembered you, though. He remembered me, but he it was like from 10 younger years. younger version of you. Yeah, he said he... Um, he uh, woke up one day in the hospital and he looked in the mirror and he thought, crap, when did I get all this gray hair? <laughs> and he was really, really um, bothered and unnerved by the fact that everyone looked older. And he really kind of grieved. His parents came to visit him in the hospital and he's like, whoa, they look much older. He, when our sons came to visit him in the hospital, um, you know, he, the oldest was 16, but he thought he was like five. And the 16-year-old walks in with a full beard. 
And <laughs> the others are nine and 10. And he said, after they left, he just sat and cried and thought, I've missed their life. What's happened? It was so, it's like a movie. It was like a time warp. So like you, he fell asleep in 2009 and woke up in 2019. And literally 95% of the information coming in his brain was new information. It's like that old uh, fairy tale Rip Van Winkle where he, he, he fell asleep and he woke up a bunch of years later and it was like, this is kind of weird. But yes. and, and technology had changed so much in that eight year period. It must have really been unsettling for him as far as all the changes and the, even driving a car would have been would have been different. Everything was different. Um, he picked up on the technology pretty quickly and he used it to his advantage. So like he wanted to get caught up on history. So he said he would put in, he went to Google, figure out what Google was and how to figure it out. And he would type in U.S. events from 2009. And he would, he would find what he re had remembered, the latest thing he had remembered, and then he'd move on to 2010, 2011. He missed all the Obama years. He See, there's so much in culture that he totally just missed. I was going to ask you about that because it's like, wait a minute, we have a black president because he was the first one. And, and, and of course, then, then Mr. Trump, who was the first, you know, mm -hmm. businessman and never mind, but it, it, everything would have been, it, that would have been such a so monumental task to reacquaint yourself with that. Now, did he remember the kids? He remember the kids' names, mm -hmm. but the, the one with the beard would kind of must have been shocking. <laughs> very shocking and very unsettling. I think that's a good word. Yet looking back, so I didn't realize until afterwards how much he had been going through internally. He didn't realize at the time how much I was going through internally. It wasn't really till we wrote the book that we started to understand where the other person was coming from. We were just surviving in the moment, but he was so peaceful and so grounded during almost, not every day, but almost the entire experience. And it just, you know, they, I've heard that when you go through suffering, the true you comes out. And his, his faith was very strong. He was very grounded, very peaceful. That was a real testimony to me of his character in the midst of it all. And he said at one point, he goes, I don't know why this is happening to me. This is a crazy, bizarre thing. He said, but if it helps one person, then so be it. You know, God, bring it on, whatever you need to do in me. He was very surrendered. That takes a great deal of courage all by itself. It does. And yeah. so, and he's, and so through the, now, how long was his memory totally compromised or did it come back in bits and pieces and, and stuff? Or did he wake up one day and say, I'm back. Really bizarre. So during, it was a 26 day trial that we walked through. And in that 26 days, I think there were five random memories from that blocked out time period that resurfaced. They were really, really random memories. For example, um, and you know, he went to, he, he went to the church. He met people, met people. He saw things that we tried, we showed him pictures trying to jog his memory. And he described it as someone had taken an ice cream scoop and just literally scooped them out. They were gone. They were under lock and key. But a few times a memory would resurface. So we had a gentleman there fixing our dishwasher. And this is the house that David had not remembered being in. 
And while the guy's fixing the dishwasher, David says, oh yeah, I remember when you came last time and there was such and such that happened. We're like, what? You remembered that? That's in the black dot. And he would go, oh, I just remembered something. Um, so that happened five times throughout. So we knew the memories were there, but somehow the brain had shut them down and not given him access to those memories. It was like the brain had said, I've had enough. If you won't take care of yourself, if you won't listen to the warning signs, um, I can only handle so much. So we're going to shut down and give you a little vacation and an opportunity to reevaluate. I also think that's another reason he was so peaceful because all the stressful memories were gone. He didn't remember that we had had an argument the night before he lost his memories. He didn't remember um, a lot of the stressors. He didn't remember some of the grief we had walked through with a stillborn and a miscarriage and people we had lost in the family. And his mind was very free. His, his mind, we described it as just a clean slate. And because he didn't have the memories of all those stressors, he interacted differently. Um, it was actually a beautiful thing. And one of the lessons we learned through it all. Um, so how did the memories come back? Um, the very first day when we were in the emergency room and he's learning about our life, he said, do we take vacations? Kind of a random question. And I said, well, last week, you last year, you were given four weeks of vacation and we took two of those, but they were business trips for me. So no, we have not prioritized vacations. And he said on day one, we've got to get away. We've got to go on vacation. And almost every day it was that same tune. We've got to take a vacation. We've got to get away. And so some friends of ours provided a week in Florida for us. And based on how intense he was about this vacation, I knew that there would be some type of healing that took place when we were in Florida, but I didn't know what it would look like. So we get to Florida and it actually was horrible for a few days. Um, <laughs> we had gone, uh, several of us had gone gluten-free in those 10 years. I was using essential oils. We were using all natural products and that was very different for him. Um, one night someone served us quinoa and I brought us quinoa. Um, and he's like, I don't care what you tell me. I will not believe you. If you said I ever liked this stuff, I don't like it. I will never like it. You can't convince me of it. Otherwise, I'm going out for a cheeseburger. <laughs> so like, all these changes were so different. We ended up having an argument in the gas station store, the convenience store in Florida, because he wanted to buy real sunscreen. And I was like, but real sunscreen can cause cancer. And so I want to use my natural version over here. And he goes, I don't like your natural version. And I'm like, well, I don't like cancer. And so we had this back and forth. And finally, he says to me, he goes, I don't know who you are anymore. And I said, well, you know what? I don't know who you are either. And just kind of it boiled over at the sure. surface, all these changes, you know, he's regressed 10 years. And in his mind, I'm a different person because I've evolved in 10 years worth of time and, and self-development and, and sanctification. So it, it got pretty bad. He threatened to go home. And, and then he said, you know, when I do get home, I'm not going back to the church. I don't know the church. I don't know those people. I'm just going to get a corporate job. It'd be too weird to go back to the church. I'm like, well, I still know those people. They've walked with us for 13 years. They're carrying us right now. I'm emotionally attached to them. He was emotionally detached from the things he could not remember. So there's this major life struggle from where I am and where he is. And we're trying to put it together. It's not working. So it's pretty bad. Um, and then the morning before we were to come home, 
I was like, this trip has been, it's been hard. And he got up early to have his quiet time, read his Bible, watch the sun come up. And after he finished, he was sitting out on the balcony of our condo and he closed his Bible and he stood up and he said that his vision went black. He described it as if when you stand up too fast and you get kind of dizzy and a little disoriented, that mm -hmm. that's what happened. Um, but it lingered. And so he grabbed a hold of the balcony rail and he thought, great, am I going blind now too? And he stood there. He said it felt like forever is probably a few seconds. And then he's a very logical, practical guy. So this is very bizarre for him to experience and to say. So as he's standing there in total blackness in you know, seven in the morning in Florida, it's not black outside, but he was in darkness. So this tingling sensation, he described it as when you, um, you hit your funny bone and it tingles, but way more intense, started at his head went all the way through his body, out his toes. And when it left his body, his vision came back and he realized in that moment he was thinking about the church. All of his memories were back in an instant. His brain was full of memories. He runs into where I am. I'm still sitting in bed looking on my phone and he goes, Shannon, I'll never forget his eyes. So big. Shannon, my memories are back. And I said, are you kidding me? He goes, why would I kid about something like that? He goes, ask me a question. Ask me a question. Test me. Test me. And I said, I can't think of anything to ask you. He goes, you're not helping me. Ask a question. So I finally thought of something that we hadn't talked about during those 26 days. And I asked him who so-and-so was. And he told me exactly who this person was. And then we're like, they're back. And we stood there and we bawled like babies that his memories were back. They had returned in an instant. It was nothing short of a miracle. When God decided it was time, we'd learned our lessons. His brain had had the break it needed to have. There's no other way to describe it except it was a miracle and his memories were back. And they've been back to this day. And you got your man back. I got him back. Only, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, only better. But before we go there, I wanted to, uh, I first of all, I wanted to congratulate you and to thank you for the woman that you are, because so many people would say, I don't know who the hell you are anymore. I'm leaving. Uh, and you did not. And you dealt, dealt with it as best you could and tried to be patient. There are limits. But you tried to be as patient as you could, as much as you could. And uh, that helped him through it uh, to a great degree. And God uh, gave me grace as well to be right there for him. I, I did not let him out of my sight. I was his Google, his 24-7 historian on every part of life. And, and we were pretty inseparable during that time, even though we're both walking through completely different experiences from each end of the spectrum. Exactly. Now, so... That moment must have been just huge when his memories came back and you recognized that he was, again, the man that he left a month before. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. It was by, you know, his brain shut down. Um, it was a major message of that, that life could not continue the way it was. And so, therefore, major changes had to happen. And I think the divine was involved. Um, and if that no question about it, because the energy that came through him came through his head and all through his body. And it just, it, it was a great healing. 
And and the doctors to this day, I'm sure they're like, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know how that happened. Um, right. So they, have they come up with any kind of a, a conclusion or reason or how? No. And you know what? We never went back to see anybody about it. <laughs> and we're like, blame you. <laughs> we have our miracle. And I had done so much research during those 26 days on brain health. I actually developed a brain breakthrough protocol which is on our website at shannonlcarroll.com um, and learned what to do to help the brain and help memory and focus and concentration. I had never thought about the brain before. And in my training as a nurse, um, that had never been something that we really talked about. It was just always there. It just always operated. And I didn't realize it's actually a pretty fragile part of our body that needs attention. So I think I learned more than the medical providers that were helping us at the time. Um, and I think because of the life lessons that we've learned, I am very confident that it's not going to happen again. Um, we've learned our lessons. We put measures in place to protect our brain and our health and our sanity. Um, so I feel pretty confident about that. So at he's back. The memories are back. Mm -hmm. You're back. You fly home. You sit down on the couch, you, you talk to the kids and they're all excited that he's back. And it's, it's, it's like, he's been on vacation for a month or out traveling someplace and he came or in the military and he came home and he had, and the kids recognized him for who he is and, and stuff. And he did the same with them and stuff. And then you sat down and you said, well, you're back, but we don't want this to happen again. So we need to make some changes in our lifestyle. Or did you say that? We had the conversations all the way through it. Um, so I mentioned that he was emotionally detached from what he didn't remember. So he actually had a very critical eye on our life and our lifestyle while he had amnesia. So let me give you an example of this emotional detachment. Um, early on, uh, I was giving him a tour of the house <laughs> and his house. And I said, um, we walked in the bathroom and he said, hey, uh, your water heater is leaking. You'd better call your plumber. Okay, so there's no, there was no ownership with this water heater. It was not his house. He had never seen the house before. He didn't remember it. So it's all related to me. So I responded and I said, well, that is our water heater. And our plumber's number is in your phone. So he had that battle all of the time, right? He's like, why are we on a homestead? Why was I worship pastor and senior pastor? Why are you on your phone all the time? Why are we so busy? Why are our kids looking at screens so much? Why is this this way? Why is that that way? So he had like this outsider's perspective on our life and was constantly asking questions about why we lived our life. And I was constantly explaining, well, this is why, this is why we made this decision. This is why we made this decision. And he was saying, it's too much. It's just too much. All of it's too much. So that had been um, a part of the whole thing. It wasn't just like we sat down and evaluated brand new once his memories came back. We had been evaluating through this whole process. But then he remembered prior to amnesia. He remembered everything that happened during amnesia and then everything from the point where all of his memories came back. And honestly, it took about two to three months for him to recover once his memories were back because he said his brain was like trying to put everything in all of the boxes 
and it was exhausting. And he would often say, I can't talk anymore. I can't look at anything anymore. My brain is so full. I just need to go sleep. Um, so the church was so gracious uh, to give us another two months off where he could really just process and um, recoup and relax. We've been almost running on adrenaline for that first month and we needed a couple of months to recover. So in those two to three months, we made a lot of our decisions together over time. First of all, I think it's great that uh, you had a, a support group of people around you who cared a great deal for you. And, you oh, know, by the way, when they said two months off, we'll continue to pay him yeah. yes. and, and to keep you whole. And, and everybody in the congregation, I imagine, made that decision together that <clears throat> we're going to support our brother and mm -hmm. we're going to support that family through this. And that that's what that's where we all should be together. Mm -hmm rather than divisiveness and I hate this. And if, if we could all understand that that is, the, that is the essence of being human, of being together and working together and, and, and loving each other and supporting each other. If we could just, okay, I digress. I'm sorry. But, you know, but it's, it's a good point. Let me just jump in real quick, Kevin, to say that there were five life-changing lessons that we learned. And that was one of the lessons is that community is a gift from God. And we, we could not have done, gone through this without our community literally carrying us and supporting us. And that was one of the things David noticed as he looked back on history for the 10 to 12 years he had missed. He's like, there's an agenda to divide us as a country and as a nation. And this agenda, he said, why is no one speaking out against it? Like he could see this progression in our culture towards isolation and division um, being pushed as he looked back uh, through it all. So community is such a gift. Isolation is the enemy of community um, and, and that ability to thrive. I, I couldn't agree more. And that, and I'm glad you put that in the book, by the way, the name of the book is one thing remains and it's right there. I wanted to ask you, what was the one thing that remained? So there is one thing David did not forget. Now you have to remember, he um, he was a worship pastor at our church and we would play songs on the radio that he had loved, like as we're driving in the car um, and during amnesia and he'd be like, oh, that song is awful. Like, taking back 10, 20 years, like you loved that song just two weeks ago. So he didn't remember songs. He didn't remember that he had watched the Avengers that had just come out with the boys uh, they enjoyed showing it to him and being able to give all the spoiler alerts to him. Um, he he did not know anything about pop culture and, and life and books. He um, had been a pastor, obviously, and so he looked at his Bible, but he didn't remember the actual Bible. He didn't remember his pulpit. Like, it's just gone. The one thing that remained so wild was his knowledge of the Bible. So... There was one day I was praying and I was praying out loud and I quoted a Bible verse. And when I got done, he said, um, that's not how that verse goes. And I was used to being right. I was right for 26 days. I, <laughs> I was the historian. I was like, yes, that is how that goes. He said, no, it's not. Said, yes, it is. He goes, Google it. That was, <laughs> Google it. Google it. So I Googled it. And sure enough, he was right. And 
So he didn't remember the hours of studying God's word, of studying the Bible, but the content of all of it was very much at the top of mind. You know, he had grown a lot spiritually in 10 to 12 years. He was not, in 2019, he was not the same man as he had been in 2009 and 2010. Yet when it came to his character, his spirituality, his values, his understanding of God and his word, all of that was present day David. When he talked about his faith, when he talked about uh, God, he was present day David. It was such a contrast to when he would talk about history and music and life. Um, so bizarre to me, but there is a verse, you know, I'm going to talk from my faith perspective and it's just where I'm coming from. There's a verse in the Bible that says that the Bible is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I witnessed that in front of me that somehow when we study this book of truth, it doesn't just land in our brain, but it settles into a place of us, into our soul, a place of us that is supernatural and nothing can take that away. And I got to witness that before my very eyes. So the book, One Thing Remains, spoiler alert, um, it, that is the one thing that remained. That, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible when, when you think about it, but it, but at the same time, it's not because that, that faith and, and this is for everybody. And I don't care if you're spiritual, if you're religious, or or anywhere in between. Uh, your faith, in what you truly deep, deeply believe in, and at your core, will always remain, um, as long as it's positive and it's good, and it can be powerful. Um, and in his world, it was the Bible, and it was the the Bible passages. And I'm sure the New Testament made a great deal to him, and and uh, and what Jesus said, and and that's you know so all of those things that that's I, I, it makes perfect sense to me. So, but that's but that's really good because that became a testament, and you can now use that testament for not only the book but the belief that there is. And if I can, if we can. Shannon, I'm going to get on my soapbox again if I'm not careful. But if we could just all understand that we are eternal beings and that we have a loving God that is taking care of us and is with us all the time and that we are all one, we all come from the same place, then the same, that we are united together, it would change the world. And you have got a loving, great example of how that can actually play out in somebody's life. Yeah, I witnessed right in front of me that there is a difference between our memories, which our memories are so powerful and they absolutely affect everything we say and we do and every interaction is based on memories. They're so valuable and when they're missing, you don't realize. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. We, we take them for granted, honestly, but there's our memories, but then there's also a different part of us that is spiritual and supernatural. And as you said, eternal. Um, and so witnessing that separation almost of the different parts of us as it came out of his life, uh, renewed my faith. And it made me even more eager to seek after and search those things that are eternal. And, you know, congratulations, because I know that uh, um, after all this was done, didn't you take it upon yourselves to downsize a little bit? <laughs> that is the understatement of the century. Yes, we realized that we were doing too much. 
And we realized that our, um, our values had become wrapped up in our identity. We had become known as homesteaders, as um, you know, pastor, as homeschool mom, and those different roles we had adopted as our identity, which is why we were never able to give them up. We knew it was too much. We knew we were trying to tackle too much in life, but we were so, our identity was so attached we couldn't separate it until he had this outside view and he didn't have any, any attachment to it. And he's like, that's got to go. And that's got to go. And that's got to go. So chickens, and, you want me to feed chickens? Are you crazy? He has a poultry allergy. So he's like, why in the world do I think it'd be a good idea to have chickens? I'm like, well, you wanted the eggs and you wanted the boys to have a business. Well, that was dumb. So anyway, um, afterwards and after the dust really settled, we're like, we've, we've got to reevaluate life. And we literally put everything on the table. And this is something we teach others how to do. Cause we get this from so many people. They see the difference in our life. Our life is light night and day from what it was before. We have so much more fulfillment, so much more joy, so much more peace. And they're like, we want that, but we don't want to have to go through amnesia to get there. So we outline for everyone in our book, how to do this, but we literally put everything on the table. It's a good thing. The kids didn't end up on the table. They might've been. Taken <laughs> off. So we evaluate everything. We're like, this is, we love our homestead. It's our value, but um, this can't happen anymore. So we sold the homestead, our dream property. And we moved to a neighborhood with three tenths of an acre so our boys can mow it on push, moker, push mowers in 30 minutes. And we don't spend our life doing maintenance on our property. It, you know, he can come home from work and it's like, oh, we get to actually enjoy the whole evening together. We can go and take a walk for a while and not have this massive to-do list that is always weighing on us. You know, pastoring and church life is already so stressful. We don't need to be adding more and more and more to it. So we took serious steps to downsize our life. We downsized our home by a couple thousand square feet. We got rid of a bunch of stuff. And we said, this is no longer the priority for us. The priority is our health, our marriage, our kids, and our faith. And beyond that, it doesn't make it on the table. So we prioritize sleep. Sleep is something that we learned as part of the brain breakthrough protocol that I talk about. Our, our brain needs sleep. His brain was craving sleep prior to amnesia. And I just nagged him, thought he was being lazy. But his brain was saying, I need to reset myself. That's when our brain resets itself. So now we go to bed early and we get up early. But if we need a nap in the afternoon, if we're just done, we take it. If we need to turn the to-do list over and, and just enjoy life, we, we go on vacations now. We prioritize our time and our money on vacations because we've got to have a break. We are hypersensitive to stress and we do whatever we need to to eliminate stress as much as possible. And this is an area where I see so many people stuck on the hamster wheel and they might not have amnesia, but they've got ulcers and they've got insomnia and they have addictions and they have constant headaches and hormone disruptions and anger and just the sense of dissatisfaction with life. And that's one of our lessons. God did not intend for us to live this stressed out life. I'm sure that somewhere in the uh, book, One Thing Remains, that you talk about balance. You have to balance everything that you do because we're, you're not here just to be a slave to the, and you became a slave to the things that you owned 
and 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 the reputation that you valued. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you found out that none of that matters. I would say it's the balance naturally is a byproduct of determining your priorities. So we determined what are our priorities. And out of that, like we kept our priority list pretty small. And even now, when I start to feel overwhelmed or stressed, or I'm doing too much, or that I've got too many responsibilities, David will say, wait, what is the priority here? What's, and here's another point. What's the priority in this season of your life? You know, maybe homesteading was good for a couple of years, but that doesn't have to carry over into every single season. And we tend to do that. We take on a hobby. We take on an interest. We volunteer and we just keep doing it and adding everything on top of that. We aren't meant to do everything all the time. And there are seasons of life. And I have to remember, I'm in a season of life with teenage sons. That needs to be the bulk of my priority and my time. And I have to say no to other things. I got myself out of a lot of church committees, out of a lot of church responsibilities, out of friend dates and coffee chats, all good, awesome things. That's not what the priority is in this season. I was a traveling salesman. I, I sold, surprisingly enough, chicken. Um, for, <laughs> and I traveled around the country and, and, and stuff. Well, I had to quit when my children hit the teenage years. Cause they, as a friend of mine said, my 13 year old, um, rolled over and his brain fell out of his head when he was 13. He got it back when he was 19 or so, but that whole time they, then they're going, you know, they got hormones, they, they got all kinds of stuff going on and you need to be there. And you need to be, you need to, that, you're right. That it has to be a priority. And uh, it is, it is so cool that, that you are, you guys have worked through it and you made the changes and, and that you, that you needed to, I'm willing to bet that you're a lot happier now than you were. Absolutely. We are, and other people notice it for sure. sure. And let me point out that it's not a one and done experience for any of us. It's not, oh, on. May the 15th, I sat down and I reevaluated my priorities and got rid of several stressors. And so I'm good the rest of my life. You know, it might be on October 12th, you got to sit down and you got to do it again. And maybe again the next month. There's this constant evaluation that we have to be doing, having our finger on the pulse of what's important. And it, does my daily life look like what I say my priorities really are? And if not, then we are out of balance and your brain is suffering. Exactly. By the way, we're talking with Shannon L. Carroll. Her and her husband, David, wrote the book, One Thing Remains. It's about the 26 days, I think you mentioned, that 26 days where he had virtually total amnesia. And it was the, probably the scariest moment of all of your lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one thing I wanted to give you an opportunity to do, because I am... I'm, I, I do some home marketing things or have in the past as well. And I'd like to give you a moment to, if you would like to do a, I don't know, 30 second commercial about your stuff. Can you do that? Are you allowed? Yeah, absolutely. With the essential oils. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going on eight years of being a brand partner for Young Living Essential Oils. And it's changed my life. Uh, my kids were always sick and always at the pediatrician's office. And so I was looking for something to help keep us well. What's interesting is that as a nurse, I was only taught how to treat disease. I was not taught how to stay well. 
And I got my first kit of oils seven and a half years ago. It's completely turned our lives upside down. Again, one other thing that has made a huge difference. I now know how to keep them well. Only one child has been to the doctor uh, in seven and a half years, and it used to be every other month. So it's completely worked. Um, and I believe God made these essential oils for us to use and these natural products. He gave us everything we need to be well. So much of my brain breakthrough protocol it, are some of these products that feed our brain that God made and he put in the plants. And so it is my joy to help others be well on whatever their personal wellness journey is. I put customized wellness plans together for people and walk them through um, how to be well the right way in what I believe, it's just a transformation. I love the thought of transformation and we can have transformation in our wellness. Nobody has to be stuck where they are in their health, in their situation, in their life. There is hope. There is a path of healing for all of us. And I love walking alongside people uh, to do that. So on our website, uh, shannonlcarroll.com, there's a wellness page with more of the story and more of how to connect with me as a wellness coach with Young Living Essential Oils. Awesome. Will you come back and so we can talk about that? I'd love to. Uh, because because I really, see, my, my feeling is, and you're a registered nurse, and you've been in the medical profession for a long time, and you've seen a lot of different things. I, and I wish it wasn't this way, but I think it is. That wellness is not necessarily a priority because there's no money in it. <clears throat> follow the money. I have learned to question everything that I once thought was um, truth and that the powers that be had my best wellness interest in mind. And that is not true. Uh, but there is a movement of those who have discovered some wellness principles and it's changing people's lives. And it feels so freeing to get out of the system. It, it it really does. And I that's one of the things that we like to talk about here is health and wellness um, and how you can uh, live your life just a little bit better because you can do a lot of stuff naturally that 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 the medical profession just doesn't want you to do or doesn't want you to know. Um, and I love modern medicine. Where, you know, I, it I has its place. That had a severe tick bite this week and ended up in the ICU needing life-saving IV antibiotics. I am so grateful for that. So I'm not, you know, totally look to the side, but there are so many options to keep us well uh, that we need to be talking about. Yeah, no, I, what I like to say is that I would be dead at least five times if it wasn't for modern medicine. At, at this point so you know so it has its place and if you need if you need your hip replaced because it's bone to bone and it's either that or you're going to be in a wheelchair because you can't walk anymore have your dang hip replaced Absolutely. but at the same time don't go to a to a medical doctor to ask about nutrition because they're not trained in that and nutrition is probably one of the single most important factors that is affecting almost every aspect of our health if you don't eat well and if the nutrition isn't absorbed properly into your body, you can't get the nutrients you need to live well and to keep your bones and your and your muscles intact and your brain. And you talk about the brain a lot. And you ought to know. I, I tell care you. about our brain health right now. I very much care. <laughs> I got to by the way, I just wanted to put this back up because we were talking about if we could all get along and, and mm -hmm. Susan says, if only, uh, it would, it would really change the world. But I got, I got to ask you as we, as we wrap this up, but I do, will I want to have you back. Will you come back on my show? 
Oh, I'd be honored to. This has been super fun, Kevin. Oh, awesome. But I, but I just got to ask you, do you ever wake up in the morning and look over at David and go, is he going to be okay? Or... You know, I, I have some PTSD from it all for sure. And when I start seeing him get stressed, um, I, I become overprotective of him and it's like, don't go there. And we had an experience. I don't even remember what it was. And he said, why are you reacting so much about this? And I said, because I don't want to walk through what we went through before. And I want to help protect you. And he said, I think I'm going to be okay. And he told me why things were different in this scenario than before and helped coach me through it. Um, but, you know, when I thought I was losing him on the side of the road, um, things changed for me. And I am so grateful to have him back. And uh, our marriage looks nothing like before. That's it's a fun chapter in the book about how this affected our marriage specifically and the clean slate that he had. So I hope some others will grab the book and uh, go read that chapter. It's pretty interesting. But yes, life is different. Looks nothing like what it was before. The name of the book is, of course, One Thing Remains. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful book and and you're a beautiful soul and I'm glad that you and David and your family uh, that you have survived all this because you've seen you were at the brink of the worst of it and it came back and I'm just heartsick by so many people that 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 happens to when they lose their loved one right before them and uh, that makes it so hard um, for people and the grief that they go through and all of those things. So, but it has been an absolute honor to talk to you. You are, you are genuinely one of the good ones. You know, this was such a bizarre story that we couldn't keep it to ourselves. And we figured no one hears of someone walking through stress induced amnesia and what that is actually like, like, like on a day-to-day -day basis, that it would be selfish to keep it to ourselves, which is why we went through the process of writing the book and sharing our story in hopes that some others can find some of the transformation that we experienced without having to lose their mind in the process. I believe that every experience that we have in life is designed to help us uh, live the next part of our life and to share those experiences with others. So I applaud you for that. Even though you have to let them into your house and, and into all reaches of your relationship in your life, uh, I applaud you for, for having the courage to do that. It's worth it. I, if you can save, my philosophy is if this show can change one life mm -hmm. by the people that I have on, then everything is worth it. And the show will be as big as they decide or God decides it's going to be, and that's going to be that. And I'm not going to worry about that. My job is to just do terrific interviews like I've just done with you because it is so valuable to people to hear. Thank you for your mission and your calling and for the opportunity to share. It's been an honor. And I thank you very much again, uh, Shannon L. Carroll. Go to shannonlcarroll.com and you can find out more about the book, which is One Thing Remains, Her Oils, all about them. And I really encourage you to do that. And and she's going to come back on the show. I'm going to, I want to book you on KKNW. So we'll talk about that. But Hold on just one second, and I'll be right the back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. 
I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's all we got.